This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the show. I'm Sean Drotar. Santa Club is on my left. The great Danny Bailey is in the booth. Call and text line 303-831-1340. We'll have uh, Nate Lundy, the head of Mile High Sports, and of course the host of VBET tonight uh, in, in about an hour. We'll talk about the um, NFL division round of playoffs, and we'll take a look at that from a uh, betting perspective because that's always uh, a lot of fun, and who better to talk about it than Nate? But we'll start with one of the teams that isn't in the divisional round. That's most of them, but probably the one you care about the most, the Denver Broncos, who find themselves at a bit of an inflection point. They are moving away from their quarterback. It feels, and we've broken this down yesterday, a reminder, by the way, if you don't have the Miley Sports app or you go to MileySports.com, you can check out any of those programs before interviews. We had Coach Brian Billick yesterday as well. Cortland Sutton feels like he's either going to get everything he wants from the Denver Broncos on his contract, or he's not going to be a Denver Bronco because he owns all the cards in this one. So the Broncos moving away from Wilson and one way or another, seeming like it is more likely that Sutton is gone than going to return. The Broncos become a long, long, long way away from becoming the playoffs. Well, that is one advantage, if you will call it that, because if you haven't been in the playoffs for two years, Broncos haven't been in for some time longer than that. This is season eight. <laughs> so and it's been longer than that. Only the Jets have a longer run. But don't have a first-year head coach. Okay, that is second in Sean Payton. And you haven't been on hard knocks in a decade. The Broncos have never been on hard knocks. Then you're eligible to be on hard knocks. Well, as it stands, only three teams as it currently goes around the NFL today, the Broncos, the Bears, and the Saints, fit all those criteria. So you, You've done your homework on yeah, this. Yeah, so the, those are the three teams that, at least according to the way it's worked out, you know, have to right. have, have to be all those three things. Most teams, for obvious reasons, don't want to be on hard knocks because, right, we've always And the heard, Broncos have always been among yeah, those teams. One of the, why they're one of the teams has never done it. said, we have no interest, even if we're eligible, we have absolutely no interest. And that's been the one consistent thing the Broncos have projected over the last 15 years amid all the coaching changes, uh, player personnel adjustments, all the quarterbacks who've come and gone, uh, particularly since Peyton Manning retired. That's been the one constant. No Bronco coach, to be sure. And few, if any, executives have wanted the Broncos on hard knocks. And the reasons for that are kind of obvious. I mean, right. We always hear, you know, fans certainly talk about it and I think it's overblown, but you know, the idea of really have to be hundred percent on your sport, right? That's why fans get upset when a player's doing some other thing or they always focus, you know, shouldn't you be focused on football? Okay. Well, no, uh, players, coaches, nobody, John Gruden, even uh, with his mythology, not misstanding, nobody focuses all their time on football. They focus the time they need to on football, but there is a good argument to be made for coaches that have, that have made this before that, the distraction when we're on the football field or around it when we're supposed to be doing the football time. We don't need it interrupted by camera crews trying to get behind-the-scenes stuff, especially the juicy, gossipy kind of bits that they're out there to get. And for the Broncos, the idea has been, no, we're going to focus on on winning. The Broncos haven't been winning for a long time, and they didn't win it this year either. So now the idea of hard, hard knocks comes around, and it is end-of-the-season press conference. Uh, Sean Payton sounds like he's ready for the spotlight, Mr. DeMille. He's a little more intrigued about the idea of, 
I don't know if it's getting the Denver Broncos in the spotlight or getting Sean Payton in the spotlight. Let me read you his quote. I think it's part of the deal, and I understand it. I get it. It's the only thing that makes me once in a while want to do hard knocks because there's a perception that would be the only way to get this inside into this whole old-school approach. Shoot, you don't do this this long if you're not adjusting, funny, creative, all of those things. I think I am all of those things. And why, why does being funny get mentioned in all those uh, presumed prerequisites for being a successful head coach? I get adaptability. Where did funny come from? And him claiming to be funny might be the funniest thing he's ever said. <laughs> that <laughs> that might have been the best punchline right we up get. There. Right. Absolutely. I mean, Vince Lombardi was not known, at least for public consumption, to be very funny. Uh, Bill Belichick, a barrel of laps, again, uh, for public consumption. I, I understand that they're private sides to these people, and uh, Lombardi and Belichick certainly sure. have different personas in private. But in public... They, we're on to Cincinnati, in right? Public. I mean, yeah. that's, yeah. that's, that's the way it works. Or on to Atlanta, as the case may that be. may very well be, as a matter of fact. Uh, Bill Belichick at the moment. But it, you know, it was an odd comment, and I think you were off, weren't you, uh, mm-hmm. during that period of time when he uttered those I words? I was, yes. I think you I were. And uh, we were playing various sound bites, and we didn't get to that one in particular because our focus was elsewhere football but uh yeah i mean there was the juicy football <laughs> just, stuff and the non-denial denials right. and, and all of this all the watergate plausible deniability all the watergate terms uh coming back because the broncos are lawyered up on the whole business of what took place in october with respect to russell wilson's contract but this this was fascinating because Coaches, and Sean Payton is certainly typical in this way, always claim they don't read anything, they don't listen to anything, and yet he seems acutely aware of his public profile. Now, I'll give him this. At least he's being honest about it that way. Because, you know, like you said, we hear all the the, the coaches and stuff. That, oh, I, I never read. I never. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, right. he, he's they always struck me as one of those guys, though. Right. Who pretends not to read so I give or him credit not to not listen to, to anything. Indicate that his his public persona, he doesn't like it, and he'd like thinks that right. hard knocks would somehow make it better. Right. But somebody asked him a question, and I, I mean, I can say, listen, uh, you know, Mike Tomlin is far more articulate than Peyton on this particular matter, and Mike Tomlin got up there today, and I'm just mentioning Tomlin because it's such a stark contrast. And before anybody asked any questions, this was his first appearance publicly since he declined to answer a question about his contract post game on Monday after the Steelers had lost in the wild card round to the Buffalo Bills. And he, the first question out of the box was, Mike, you have one year left on his contract. And the question was not even completed before Tomlin Exited stage left. Right. And today gets up there before anybody asked a question, said, I'm a, in a better mood today. And I could have handled the situation better on Monday. But here's why I didn't. And he went into a very thoughtful explanation 
uh, centered on there being a time and a place for questions such as that. And today's news conference was more the time and the place as opposed to Monday afternoon immediately following a game when he's asked, with one year left on his contract, what's going to happen? Will he demand an extension? Will he take a year off? And so on. He obviously wasn't thinking in those terms on Monday afternoon right after a football game, which is perfectly understandable, but he gave an explanation for it while not exactly apologizing, and he didn't need to apologize, but just explaining uh, himself in a way that uh, I, I thought was perfectly understandable. Mike Tomlin is authentic in everything he does. And I actually have seen Tomlin in different settings where he strikes me as as just a very bright, interesting young man in his early 50s, having coached now, what, 18 years? Without a losing. Without a losing season in the NFL. Quite a track record. But, of course, Ted Williams said this once, and it's always stuck with me. You can take anybody's record, anybody's record, and pick it apart and find holes Mm -hmm. in the resume. And the hole for Mike Tomlin is that the Pittsburgh Steelers haven't won a playoff game in about as long as the Broncos have been missing the playoffs. All right? Yeah. And and, and So that's more a fan thing in Pittsburgh where all the winning seasons, okay, that's great, kind of taken for granted as opposed to not having won a playoff game in a while. Mike Shanahan got that here, and he won two straight Super Bowls. And then he won one playoff game his final 10 years, and people acted like that was a colossal failure on the part of Mike Shanahan. Well, we didn't have John Elway anymore. He couldn't win a playoff game. Well, he did win one. He became the first coach to best Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. And I guess you could throw Jake Plummer in there. Yeah. Uh, it's coach and quarterback to beat Belichick and Brady out of a playoff game, which they did following the 2005 regular season. But everybody talked about all the playoff games that either the Broncos didn't play or lost during that period of time. So I, I understand that. Sean Payton seems especially desirous not necessarily of the spotlight, but for people to portray him as a good guy. And it's funny considering that he told Seth Wickersham back in August from ESPN, and we had Seth on the show and we talked about it, Mm -hmm. that he didn't really much care that he was not exactly going to win a congeniality contest with the staff out of the Valley. He enjoyed being a hard ass. Well, pardon the language. I, I mean, he seemed to enjoy it. And now he's going back a little bit. And, you know, I think the reason why is because looking at his record, his one year here, which is the only thing that Sean Payton says matters. Right. Ancient history is everything that preceded 2023 to him. Everything in Bronco history that happened before 2023, he doesn't want to hear about it. He doesn't want to talk about it. He doesn't want to think about it. And I think if they had even missed the playoffs but had a winning record and he could sell a big finish, he wouldn't care about how he's portrayed publicly on talk shows, in newspaper columns, and so on. He wouldn't care about it. But 
he's not exactly dealing from a position of strength. So now he's coming out with this, um, I'm a good guy. Right. It does feel like there's a desire to have some image rehabilitation there. And, and, and look, Sean Payton would hardly be the first person who approached hard knocks with that being the objective. Yeah. yeah. I, I would argue, no. in fact, that's what most no. of the people who are excited to go on hard knocks are, are trying to do is rehabilitate their image. I, show a different perspective. I think that Hugh Jackson, when he was coaching in Cleveland in particular, got a bit of a bad rap. But even those, and I have very close friends who know Hugh Jackson and like him a lot personally and professionally, the reason the Cleveland Brown went that went on hard knocks is because they hadn't won, and they were 1-31 over a two-year period, and Hugh Jackson wanted to show that he could coach and he was a victim of circumstances and so on. And all it turned out to do for Hugh Jackson was expose all the fissures and the right. power struggles that existed within the Cleveland Browns organization. And you knew after watching Hard Knocks, which obviously was a preseason program, now they do in-season uh, hard knocks right. as well, but back then they didn't. It was case, only case the preseason the version. Preseason isn't distracting enough. Coming out of the, the preseason, one. you knew he wasn't going to be around for very long. Right. You just knew it. So I, <laughs> sometimes intending, wanting very badly to go on hard knocks, backfires. It, it most certainly can backfire because it, it does expose you got to remember, the camera crews, Sean Payton may be thinking, they're here to make me look good. Mm, they're, they're there to make you look compelling and interesting. I think not that's necessarily right. They're good. not there to make him look bad. I think we need to Correct. understand it's that. The NFL, it's an NFL and production of the NFL. What, right, what right. happened, in addition to what I just described with the Browns, well, Greg Williams got a lot of play because Greg Williams is a fiery guy and was once... Sean Payton's own defensive coordinator at the height of Bounty Gate, and both got suspended. Uh, but Greg Williams ended up getting attention, and it was pretty clear that Greg Williams thought, you know, I should be the head coach. And, and so you saw that conflict play out, and you've seen it on other editions of Hard Knocks in the same way. I don't think the intention of Hard Knocks is to make people look bad and I actually think at this point, coaches, it, it, probably even more than players, unless you talk about Aaron Rodgers, I suppose, coaches play to the cameras. Sure. Boy, do they oh, play yeah. to the cameras. Oh, yeah. And they love that at Hard Knocks mm -hmm. because it comes off as compelling and interesting, even if it's forced, even if you can see right through it. Here's an assistant coach trying to sell himself as a head coaching prospect, which is exactly what Greg Williams was trying to do the summer that, the Cleveland Browns. There are there are objectives knocks. there generally, and you're right. And the, the you know when it's game time, when games are on, which is most of your NFL productions, the players are the ones getting most of the time yeah. on the screen for obvious reasons. And I think there are in a modern world in which, you know, 
Sean Payton may tell Russell Wilson, stop kissing babies and focus entirely on football instead of the social media stuff. Sean Payton himself is also thinking, well, I want a little something for me. And, and it is funny to, to, to get that quote and to then look at how he addressed it with Wilson. I, I see an odd similarity in that both of these guys, for very different reasons, yes, really want to be cool. Okay? And I, I say this as someone who is admittedly not cool. So I'm not saying I know exactly how to do it either. But they, but both Russell Wilson and, and Sean Payton, they really want to be cool. And neither of them are actually cool. <laughs> and both of them have a tough time accepting that. And, and so yeah. they're kind of banging their heads into the walls. Right. And in Russell Wilson's right. case, you know, tried it on, you know, he never weighs in social media, trying to be cool, right. letting them always kind of land with a thud. Right. And Sean Payton's decided, well, I'm going to try it on hard knocks. And everyone yeah. see how, how yeah. funny I am. I'm like, yeah. ooh, okay. I don't know. This may right. not go the way you think it's going to go. But boy, I would honestly be a bit surprised if the Broncos weren't exactly the team to put on hard knocks. With one exception, if Jared Stidham ends up being the quarterback, I could see the NFL films decide to move on. Now, it's an interesting rookie like Bo Nix or Michael Penix. Yeah. NFL could say, yep. Or J.J. McCarthy. Yeah, or McCarthy. Somebody that has some familiarity yeah. to the oh, audience. Oh, sure, and there's a little bit of quarterback drama. They Absolutely. Would, they would do they that. They gravitate to that. But if there's not a lot of quarterback drama, because the Broncos don't draft one pretty high, and it's, say, James Winston comes to town, I could see the NFL saying, well, we'll, we'll look at the Bears, maybe. Because we'll, we'll, the, we'll the Bears have a lot going yeah, on that's the interesting. Bears have a lot going on. And it's also, I mean, the Bears are going to have a quarterback issue one way right. or the other. Either they keep fields and they don't draft a quarterback with the first pick, which is actually Carolina's pick that they got in a trade, or Justin Fields comes back, and that's interesting. Right. So it's I, I, I much think it's, more interesting than Jarrett's. It's Stidham Broncos, Bears, be. and I think the Broncos would have the edge. Now, if the Bears are in Chicago, that's a huge story, and they'll yes. have the topic in the draft. That's a huge story. But yes. The, yes. But as you correctly alluded to, ten, the stars of Hard Knocks tend to be the coaches. Sean Payton is an interesting draw in that regard, and that would be, I think, what would lead the Broncos to being the team if they ended up drafting a quarterback high and you have a name rookie quarterback coming in. That part would be pretty fascinating. But we'll see. I mean, uh, curious what your thoughts are about that. I know we have text already, 303-831-1340. Would you like to see the Broncos no, on Hard No, I never want to see the Broncos on Hard Knocks. Really? No. No. I, I, I This may I, seem like I I'm contradicting myself. Hard Knocks. I hate it. I don't care who knows. I hate I, I, it. I am not as fond of hard knocks as I once was. And that's been true for five or six years. But in this case, I I, I would like to see what would happen. Slow motion. And how wreck? much of it is authentic and how much of it is forced and what follows on hard knocks. Because I don't know the teams, whether preseason or in season, have been helped. What's it been in season the last two years? Indianapolis Colts was was that two yeah, years, two years ago? ago. This year ago? was the Dolphins. This year was the Dolphins. They Every kind of went off the rails. On inside last year was the Cardinals. Oh, Cardinals, yeah. Pardon yeah, it was Cardinals. the Cardinals, right? Who folded and fired everybody mm-hmm. at the end of the year. They right? did it again this year, by and, the way, and did it again this year. Uh, that's a more recent development, but yeah, <laughs> like the today. last three years, Colts collapsed. Cardinals collapsed. The Dolphins at least made the playoffs, but yeah. they blew the division. Yep. 
in which they were in complete control before they went on hard knocks. And then that changed, and Buffalo ends up catching him, beat him out, and then they get shelled by Kansas City last weekend in the wild card play. Yeah, curious to curious to see with that. But, Danny, you, you said there's a, a couple thoughts about this on the text line. What do you have? Uh, we have one text here from Man of the People. He says, guys, is there anything you do like about Sean Payton? His win-loss record is solid. Yeah. I mean, I think his record in New Orleans was very good. I, I, uh, yeah, Bounty I, Gate is part of it, but it's not the entire record, obviously. Uh, but I, I think based on his own standard, which is judge me for what I'm doing right now. Yeah, I don't care about history. Well, he doesn't want to be linked to Bronco history, but he wants to be linked to New Orleans Saints history, right. at least while he was the head coach there. And my point, at least, is you can't have it both ways. And I I think in this, he wants to be, and part of him very much revels in being the tough guy, old school coach, but he also wants to be appreciated for his delightful sense of humor, which, frankly, none of us have experienced. That said, you know, he's thinking about stuff that I like. I do like his, his tenaciousness at trying to pull off a visor in 2023. I, I appreciate that. Uh, I like that his his uh, menu makes me hungry because it looks like it's from what Waffle House, the, the play calling sheet. I always think of like, mm, I'm thinking about the way I'm going to get my hash browns. Chop, that had not occurred smothered to me. Or, but... Yeah. Uh, you know, you get, you, that's, uh, yeah. It makes you think Waffle House there, that big old giant bright play calling screen. No, yeah. there are things I like. There are things I like. Uh, they got to eight wins. I guess I like that better than fewer than eight. I don't know. Your thoughts, 303-831-1340. The Broncos, by the way, as we talked about. Is, it, is that a rhetorical question? We we know this texter reasonably well. Yeah. Is that, is that a re- kind of a yeah. rhetorical question? Yeah, he's just joking. Oh, okay. It's hard to tell in yeah. text, right? I mean, you have to take it no, pretty literally. So I, I didn't know. This is someone who has been rather critical Yeah, Sean Payton. But now I want, now I'm hungry for waffles. Right. All right. Well, Broncos red zone problems are going to be a little more... Um, Hard knocks won't solve those. No. Uh, well, you know what also won't solve those? The guy that threw 26 touchdowns, many of those in the red zone, and a guy Fairly who caught not. 10 of them, many of those in the red zone. Uh, if those two guys are gone. Where do the Broncos get their touchdowns? That's still an important part of winning football games, I've heard. We'll talk about it next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Welcome back to the show for the Denver Broncos leading to their offseason. Russell Wilson is out the door. Cortland Sutton may be following him. Either that or he's going to get everything he wants. He'll get the last year of his contract, $13 million or get an extension that he likes because he holds all the cards. And were the Broncos to lose both of them, the impact on their offense would be stunning. I mean, I gave, gave some of the, the numbers yesterday, but, you know, Wilson threw 26 touchdowns. Ten of them were to Sutton. So you're talking about losing, all you know, all of those touchdowns from your offense. And with the exception of, I guess, Jerry Judy, 
a first-round pick who has not quite panned out. He's about the only person, at least conceivably, with the talent on the team that you could maybe say, okay, who could who could make a massive leap forward and become a borderline star player next year for the Denver Broncos? I think that the that jump for Judy would be so big at this point that I can't envision it. But he's also the only guy that I could look at it and say it's even possible. Uh, Javante Williams catches a decent amount of passes out of the backfield. I get it. So does Julio McLaughlin. But I is it Mims? Is it Dulcich? Is it somebody else that you think is well, on this Dulcich roster that can make get a on leap? the field? Right. Uh, Mims. I don't know. It, you know, we, we were talking about Peyton before. I think Peyton's a very, very good coach, and his record speaks to that. But it is a mystery to me why the guy he was able to trade up and get into the second round, right? Latter portion of the second round. Mm-hmm. is Marvin Mims, and he didn't play him early in the season from the line of scrimmage. I understand he played on special teams. And, by the way, uh, I think he made second-team All-Pro. I was, we were talking during the break about that. Justin Simmons made second-team All-Pro. But I think as a kick returner, Mims made second team All Pro. I I may be wrong on that. Our that that ends up being uh, the producer uh, will will check that out for us. But but I, it, that surprised me that he didn't play more. So yeah, it, he's the one guy who comes to mind for me for okay. me as a guy who can make a big leap. Um, I I'm I'm kind of on the fence on Javante Williams. I I liked him before his injury. Uh, I think with injuries like that, in most cases, not all, but in most cases, it pretty much takes a full year before you're back to being your old self. Right. And he was rehabbing this past offseason. This season, I assume he won't be rehabbing. So as much as the Broncos are trying to force him back as quickly as possible, and that seemed to be an objective during training camp, boy, we got to get Javante Williams back on the field as soon as possible. And, and they and they did. And, and, and Williams uh, you know, kind of soldiered through it. He, but I, he soldiered through it, but he, he seemed to tire late in the season. And, yeah, I, I think his strength as a player uh, is clearly demonstrated when he's carrying the ball rather than catching it right. or dropping it, as he did quite a few times this season. Um, I don't know if he can get back to being that player who I thought was in the process of becoming a special player. Um, he's not going to be Derrick Henry. I think we can all right, agree right. to that by now. Because with running backs, I think you you always know in the first two years whether they're going to be special or not. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying a running back can't be a late yeah. bloomer and all that. But if they're really going to be special, you know right away. All the great ones you knew right away. You didn't have to wait for Jim Brown. You didn't have to wait for uh, OJ. You didn't have to wait for Dorsett. You didn't have to wait for Billy Sims. You didn't have to wait for Barry Sanders, Emmett Smith, Terrell Davis. You knew you knew they were special Well, the thing right about away. running backs is the position is different, right? I mean, you, there's not as much of a learning curve, and they tend to come in rather essentially fully formed. Right. And so you can tell that. By the way, uh, Marvin Mims Jr. was a uh, – uh, a second-team All-Pro. Yeah. Pro bowler as a punt returner. Second-team yeah. All-Pro as a kick, kick returner. Kick returner. Yeah. 
Yeah, they they, so, they don't distinguish. Uh, they, they do on, actually. On the uh, Darius, do they? Darius Davis for the Chargers was the second team in the punt return. So oddly, wow. Okay. Uh, well, I, I mean, he didn't he make a did pro, he didn't make an all back. pro as a punt returner at all. First or second team. First yeah. team was Raheed Shahid of the Saints. Uh, the kick returner was well. Uh, he did have a kickoff Keyshawn return Nixon for a of the Packers. Yeah. So he got it as the kick oh, returner. Good. But good. yeah, Doesn't those matter. are the only two uh, all pros. There aren't that many pro bowlers. So yeah, I mean, this but he is, was good um, at both. Good for him. It he was, was good. It was, both. and I, I. So they found their return man. Uh, yes, and I worry about his size a smidge. Right, and that's why I'm guessing when you're talking about I'm being a guessing. breakout receiver, why he didn't play more from the line of scrimmage. But you know, I, I, I understand it's a different time. Rick Upchurch was a regular wide receiver. Mm-hmm. And he returned kicks and punts. Yeah, but it's not the same anymore. I know it's not the same. But and, teams, and teams Rick don't like, they don't like risking their guys on the return I, teams. Yeah, but if they're weapons, I I agree. You know, I I I would find a way to play him more than one out of every but four I, or five it, yeah, snaps. It appears to me that Sean Payton that. doesn't really like to split that. Doesn't like to have both in those positions either. But it appears that he believes that Mims is more valuable as a returner. Okay. Well, that's so fine, but you're not exactly uh, overflowing with receiver N- talent. No, 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 you're not. No. And uh, who are you going to get in the draft when you you don't as have a, a second rounder with six as picks? a receiver? I, I assume you're not going to draft one in the first round. I would sincerely hope. I, I would think it'd be either a cornerback or a quarterback. Yeah. Maybe a receiver. Maybe. Maybe, but Boy, I wouldn't go I, receiver I first wouldn't, round. Not the I first wouldn't. round when you have to wait all the way until the third round to pick again. I, I wouldn't do I it. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go that way. No, I think but I'd are... say a top flight cornerback to go with Sertan. I could see that. I could see um, another Alabama guy filling that position yeah. with the first pick. But I, I kind of think you know Billick is so interesting to listen to, and it. He was all in. They got to take a quarterback. They you know, to. they have. A, it doesn't mean they don't have other needs. They do, but in the first round, I think you got to take a quarterback as uh, attractive as you know a, a Terry and Arnold might be. The cornerback from Alabama who had five interceptions this year, broke up twelve passes. And, um, I noticed because I watch a lot of Alabama now. He plays through the ball more than Satan does. Satan is a technique guy, right? And technique guys are fine. Yeah. And people don't like throwing at technique guys. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I and I think Sertan has pretty good hands, but there were one or two plays this year where he had picked sixes and dropped them. And he's more of a technique guy. And that has its drawbacks. Yeah. Especially late in the New England game where you're just playing technique and you're not going through the receiver to yeah, break up the I, that pass. Was, that was, I think, the You have to attack is, the receiver, and Arnold's more the, aggressive. I yeah. think Arnold would compliment Sertan, and Sertan would compliment Arnold. I, I don't think Arnold's It's an oversimplification. Player Sertan is. Sertan's a better player, when, and I get yeah. that. But I like they need a corner on the other side right. who is going to get thrown at more than Sertan well, gets thrown at, saying, and they need that guy to pick off five or six passes a year. So what you're saying, they if I'm understanding this correctly, is, is what you're saying is technique, and we're simplifying to an extent. People can be both, but when you're talking about technique, well, that's why he really didn't make what you're pro. talking about is is denying the receiver the catch. And when you're talking about a playmaker, you're talking about someone who goes and gets yeah. the interceptions. Yeah. And and Sertan is more of the former now, now, than he is. Sertan doesn't get penalized, right? There's that. That's, and if you play through the receiver, you're going to get flagged yeah. from time to time. But 
to me, that's okay. And you go look at those cornerbacks, none of whom were named Patrick Satan, who made all pro, first team, second team. Right. They're all playmakers. For the most part, yeah. All game changers. Patrick Satan is not a game changer. He's not. And and there are reasons for that, but Lewis Wright was a game changer uh, because he played the run in a way that, and Satan's not alone in this respect, but cornerbacks that don't tackle, unless you're talking about Deion Sanders, who, who was so good, and, you know, speaking of a guy who was, could return kicks, could return right. punts, did play, it play wide game, receiver, play wide receiver Every four or five snaps. Time. Yep. Right. Yeah. So, uh, in, unless you're of that caliber, I, I don't know how, how much of a difference it makes. And it's easy for all analysts who do Bronco games. And these days they tend not to be the top guys to say, Oh, Patrick Satan, just check it off. Uh, and one of my, uh, preconceived observations <laughs> this game is going to be Patrick Sutan's the best cornerback in the National Football League this and that nobody who plays or watches the game seriously and I mean watches everything has that view well here are okay. here are the four all pros this year which I agree with you means a lot more than pro bowlers yes of course the cornerbacks Deron Bland out of Dallas and Sauce Gardner of the Jets Make plays. On, on the first team the second team, Jalen Johnson of Chicago, yeah, and the who's terrific. terrific playmaker, Charvarius Ward of San Francisco, who had a great year and makes plays. I, you know, and I'm not saying if you break everything down to what you want in a cornerback, certainly technique ranks way up there. It does. And I'm not saying technically any of those guys are better or necessarily even as good as Satan, but they make plays. They make difference making plays in games. Justin Simmons does more of that yes. as a safety I, I believe than so. Satan does I, I, as a cornerback. I believe that's absolutely the case. And people aren't drooling at the chance to expose Justin Simmons as a bad cover guy because he's not. He's actually a very good cover guy. Just ask Patrick Mahomes the how good Justin Simmons is. And no. I think if you sat down and really had kind of an off-air, off, the record, maybe conversation with Patrick Mahomes, he'd say, when I'm facing the Broncos, I'm worried more about Simmons. Mm-hmm. I may not throw a lot at Satan, but I'm worried more about Simmons messing me up than I am about Satan messing me up. It is a different position now. I mean, with the defense is the way it is in the league. The idea of simply reducing points isn't always the way to win games. Defenses have to actually tip the game, and, and that means even you if need they more give up a defenses. few more yards, yes. and sometimes that means taking a few more chances. And when you take chances, you can get penalized. Because offenses across that. the league are generally efficient. It's just the reality. I, the, the game changes. Over at Superbook Sports, we're changing the game. Win some money this season with Superbook Sports, the most trusted name in sports gambling, with a direct line to Las Vegas. And now, when you use the promo code Mile High, you'll score up to two hundred fifty dollars with their first bet bonus. And that means win or lose, Superbook will match your first bet up to $250 with the promo code Mile High. So download the Superbook Sports app, enter that promo code Mile High, and you'll get $250 courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 
Well, uh, this will be one of our uh, first two stops in Boston. The over the yeah. next two days, back to back nights. The uh, roommates at Ball Arena sometimes. will end up in Boston. The uh, Nuggets will play the Celtics tomorrow night, but tonight the Avalanche go to play the and Bruins. And all four teams are really good. Really, really, really good. How good? I'll let you know how they're perceived. It's very interesting where Denver and Beantown are. I'll tell you next to Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. The Colorado Avalanche are on a, one of their more extended road trips of uh, the season thus far. The Avs find themselves in pretty good position right now at the rough halfway point of the season. They are one point behind the Winnipeg Jets for the top spot in the Central, which is also the top spot in the Western Conference. Winnipeg has two in hand. They're a little more ahead uh, than it looks like. Uh, Vancouver also has 62 points over in the Pacific and has yeah. played one fewer game than the Avs. Right. But the Avs aren't really worried about that. They just need to worry about the teams that are in front of them. This is a team that's been good, not great on the road, 11-8-3 and three away, and now they will be taking on uh, the Boston Bruins, who are borderline great at home, they have only lost three times in really regulation all year. Really good at home. They've only lost eight regulation games this year. Strangely, or maybe it isn't so strange. I, I, I think I mean, Montgomery's done a great coaching job. They've, they've lost the a lot last from last year to this year. They've lost a lot. I mean, Bergeron mm-hmm. retired. They've, uh, they've, had, they've taken some hits. And I, I think a lot of that has contributed to their losing nine games as they did to the avalanche recently in overtime and a shoot. Right. I, I just don't think their top end talent is as good as it was a year ago, but Jim's such a good coach. And I look at eight losses in regulation and they're the only team in single digits in regulation losses. Winnipeg's lost 10 in regulation. Vancouver's lost 11 in regulation. Uh, Rangers have lost 13. Florida's lost 13, Avs have lost 13, Dallas has lost 12, Kings have lost 12, but the Kings aren't playing well, and uh, Todd McClellan, who I think is a very good coach, received, as my old friend Ron Zappolo used to say, the dreaded vote of confidence from the former Av Hall of Famer Rob Blake today. The dreaded vote of confidence given to Todd McClellan by Rob Blake. Well, the, the interesting part of this matchup is that the Avalanche this year have been a little more penalty prone than they have in the past. Uh, yes. And, and it's not vicious penalties no, that they're taking. Kind of it's careless. Careless. Careless penalties. Sloppy penalties. 10.3 penalty minutes per game. So you can figure that's about an average of five penalties a game. That's eighth in the league, in eighth most yeah. in, in penalty minutes. Here's the problem. When Boston this year serves fewer penalty minutes than their opponent, do you know how many games in regulation they've lost? We know it's not many overall. I guess one or two. The answer is zero. 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 All right. If they serve fewer penalty minutes than their opponent, they have not lost. Yeah. End of story. For in the, regulation. In regulation. Yeah. that They have lost twice in, in overtime. But in regulation, they haven't lost once. And so 
the Avs have to, and that that's for multiple reasons. One, they're a very good team, and they have a dangerous power play, all yes. that sort of stuff. Yeah. But it's more of one of these things to watch because you think about the Avalanche, you think about the Bruins, you're thinking about the skating and the scoring and the talent. But the hidden value of this game might be about who's able to stay out of the box because both of these teams have such high-end talent on the power play. That's likely to be the game decider. For Boston, well said. it's been yeah. very clear it's been the game decider. They're 11-0-2 if they have fewer penalty minutes. If they have the fewer opponent. penalties, so that's 13 games, and they played 43. So, you know, they tend they to have their share of penalties, too. too. But they're not, in the, they're not in the top 10 in penalty minutes, and the Avs are. Yes. And uh, George Kwasdek used to tell me a variation of this. Uh, he was talking about a particular league, not the, not an entire uh, group. Uh, you know, there's 64 Division One teams. He wasn't talking about all 64. Of course, there weren't 64 when George was head coach at DU. But he used to tell me penalty minutes, and we'd talk about it, and he'd, he'd say, you don't want to be leading your league in penalty minutes. Right. You also don't want to be last in your no. penalty minutes. You, you, you still... want to kind of be in the yeah. middle. You want to have some yeah. physicality, obviously. Uh, it, that's uh, it, it's hard to consistently win without it. But the Avs, uh, this is one of those games where it feels like they need to be a little more attentive. Yeah, and when yes. you're talking about careless penalties, I worry a bit about teams that take careless penalties when you're facing a talented team. Because that's where you end up with the weird, the hooking or the interference or the things where you're a little bit behind, the clutching and the grabbing because you found yourself in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's the, the, the concern I have for the Avs. They really, really have to watch this. You know, they, have, they do have a good penalty kill at 81.6%. But, the but it has are, not been great recently. No. And the Bruins are even better at 84.4%. They're in well, just outside a, the top five. A good reason why they have 61 points. Yep. And uh, no one in the East has even as many as 59 at this yeah. point. The Bruins have 61. Bruins uh, power play hitting at 27.1%. The Avs yeah. at 25.1%. That's fifth and seventh, respectively. Yeah. Again, it one of those yeah. things, it may come down to the penalties. Very Can easily. stay out of the box? And, and the Avs like it when they have the advantage because they feel their power play, especially when they get four or more chances during the course of a game, more than one a period, they feel that they'll get at least one goal out of all those chances. Right. I mean, they're going to go one. That's their average. They're going to go one for four. One for four, almost on the money. And if you get more than four, maybe you get a second one. Maybe you get a second one on the power play, and that could be a a difference maker. Um, Getting two points or getting no points. So this in, is, in overtime, the Bruins are going to be on home ice. Right. I know they've lost nine in overtime in the shootout, but they're going to be uh, a little bit more difficult to beat at home than they were here when I, I just thought they got tired. Were it here. to get to overtime, I almost feel like the Avs' best play, and they, they don't play this way and they shouldn't play this way, might be to take it to the shootout, quite frankly. Oh, I, yeah. I think the Avs. Well, have that's a better, where the high-end talent. I think in. the Avs have a better chance of winning in a shootout than they would in the overtime directly. I think their odds improve, so uh, we'll, we'll see. But this has been a, a road trip where it started off with a win in Mont- uh, win in Toronto. They lost to Montreal. They bounced back against Ottawa, a team they should have beaten, but they started slow. 
I presume that it will be uh, Georgiev in the net, of course. I'm thinking it will. I mean, I thought if Annanen had stoned Ottawa the other night, given up one goal, shut them out uh, with 40 shots on goal, that wasn't going to happen, but maybe he'd come back with them and give Georgiev more of an extended rest. But I do think they'll go back to Georgiev tonight in Boston. And, um, you know, they've beaten him once. And uh, I, I just want to make this this point because it's 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 a little bit different with the Nuggets. Not The Nuggets are better against the bad teams than the Avs, but the Avs have been pretty good against good teams. And I'm, I'm talking about teams that right now would qualify for the playoffs. Right. And that would mean, apart from the top three in the West, that would be Nashville and Edmonton. And in the East, it would all come from one division uh, in the... Atlantic, right? That's Boston's division. Five teams would make it. That's the max. Boston, Florida, Detroit, Toronto, Tampa Bay. And in the uh, Metro, you have the Rangers, Philadelphia, and Carolina. Right now, no other team from that division will make the playoffs. Avs are 9-7 and seven against those teams. 563 point percentage. Uh, they're at 741, 26 and 3 against non-playoff teams. That's 741. You'd like to see that figure maybe a little closer to 80% against bad teams. That's kind of where the Nuggets are at 19 and 3 against the bad teams. 864. That's great. Um, 9 and 11 going into the Boston game against the good teams. Maybe you'd like that to be a little better. But 19-3 and three against the bad teams, 86.5%, that's that's pretty good if you can hold throughout the year. And the only three games they've lost to bad teams have been the three they've lost to the Houston Rockets. I assume you'll get their best tonight, and it is kind of one of those measuring stick games. The Avs are, are fine. You know, Sadie's talked about the point percentage. The Avs are... Are in good shape. And, point percent. and if they in lose the this game, it doesn't alter that a lot. No. But you would like to be able to, in these kind of games, to get a measurement against the teams that are the best. Right now, the odds on favorites for the Stanley mm-hmm. Cup with equal odds, plus 750 each, the Avs and the Bruins. The interesting. It's favorites interesting. for the Cup. Yep. And so when you have that kind of game, you'd like to win it. You'd like to make that statement. You'd like to know that, that you're the team that's on top and winning two in a row against the Bruins would be a much bigger statement than splitting going one and one, even though that wouldn't be a bad thing. And, so, and we'll you, see. You, you have to acknowledge, uh, we, we talk about secondary scoring and depth and all the issues that the Avs have, uh, especially when they have minus like an end injuries, Nishushkin right now. Uh, out, Lekkonen's out, Lekkonen will come back probably before Nishushkin does. Uh, but hard to argue against the high-end talent when you've got uh, McKinnon second in the league in points, Renton tied for sixth in points, yeah. and McCarr tied for eleventh in points. Yeah, three of the top eleven. You, you, in the league. And 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 Taves is not scoring maybe at quite the pace he has in other years, but what a partner for McCarr to have in Devon Taves, who I think has been excellent on this trip. By the way, yeah, he, uh, he has, he has. Uh, Jonathan Duan, by the way, keep an eye on him because in the. Uh, Month of January, five goals, four assists in eight games, more than a point a game. If the Avs are going to win this game tonight, they may need Duran as well. We'll give it a look and 
Uh, obviously, tomorrow we'll take a peek at how that turned out and break it all down for you. But the NFL Divisional Playoff round comes up this weekend. We're going to take a look at it, uh, not only from the, the football side, but from the betting side with Mile High Sports' own Nate Lundy. We'll do that next. Waiting for 